You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Well, peace be with you, Sojourn family. I am so glad uh, to be before you today. And to our mothers, happy Mother's Day. We heard a phenomenal poem to start our worship service. And I pray that it ministered to you as much as it ministered to me. But no matter uh, who you are today, one thing that I can be sure of, you probably have mixed emotions. Uh, some of us are happy or, or maybe some of us are sad because it's Mother's Day. As well as some of us are mourning uh, because of the uh, public nature and uh, death of Ahmad Arbery very tragic video that was shown this week of him being gunned down in the middle of the street, uh, black man by two white men. And then there's just the pandemic. The pandemic itself is odd. In fact, preaching to you guys each week through a camera and in a sanctuary that is uh, mostly empty is something that I probably will never get used to and I hope I don't have to. And the question is, uh, what's going to get us through this pandemic? What's going to get us through these strange, constant, mixed emotions? What's going to get us from being through being stir crazy in our homes and through lamenting the loss of not having vacations and other things that we love? The thing that's going to get us through is beholding the glory of Christ. And that's what I want to talk to today, to you today from Matthew chapter 17, is beholding the glory of Christ. And in essence, I want to show you how this passage uh, reminds us that we become what we behold, that we become what we behold. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word for your name's sake. I also pray for uh, the family and and friends of Ahmad. I pray for his mother as she mourns the death of her 26-year-old son and has a first Mother's Day without seeing his face and hearing his voice. Jesus, we pray, uh, Maranatha, we pray that you would come quickly. We pray that you would enact justice. We pray that you would continue to form us to be a people who can weep with those who weep, a people who long for the day of your return. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1, we see uh, that the text says that it was after six days that Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and he led them on a high mountain by themselves. And so... We know that last week we looked at how Peter made this confession of faith that Jesus was the son of God and how Jesus celebrated Peter's confession and said that upon that confession and upon Peter, he was going to build his church. And now the scene moves six days later, according to Matthew's gospel. And the Bible says that They go up to a high mountain. Now in Matthew, anytime Jesus is on a high mountain, there's normally uh, some revelation. And he takes these three individuals, not the rest of the disciples. And we may wonder, why did Jesus take these three individuals and not the rest of the disciples? 
And while we don't know for certain, we do know that these three are going to play a critical role in the early church as we read the book of Acts. We know that Peter is going to preach the first sermon and over 3,000 people is going to be saved. We know that James is going to be martyred for his faith. We know that John is going to be an influential pastor and apostle um, that is going to have his ministry impact many. And he, of course, is going to be the author of multiple books in the New Testament. And verse two says that Jesus was transfigured in front of them. And this word transfigured is the same word that we see in the book of Romans. And it just simply means to be changed, to be changed. I love what it says. It says, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Let's just pause and let's just think about that. Jesus is changed. His outsides go in and his insides go out. Uh, Jesus is changed to the point that his face is going to shine like the sun and his clothes are going to become as white as uh, those TV commercials with the Colgate, you know, those teeth, right? His, his, his clothes are going to just shine white as a light. What a beautiful picture. As the disciples get to see Jesus, how God the Father sees him. In the Bible, the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, we have a picture of the Messiah. And the picture of this Messiah is a a, a picture of of one who is not necessarily attractive. Uh, Jesus uh, did not have uh, the the looks of a, a Will Smith or you fill in the blank with someone else that you think is attractive. Uh, The Bible says that he was an ordinary man who most people wouldn't do a double take on. But here we see his beauty and his glory. And and part of what I believe is happening here is is that uh, Jesus and his essence and his nature is shining through. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus came to the earth and how he emptied himself. Even though he is equal to God, he emptied himself. And part of his emptying himself was him not allowing his glory uh, to be shown in full. And even here in this text, I do not believe Peter, James, and John could, could stand and see the full glory of Jesus. No one could see the full glory of God and live to talk about it as mere human beings. But God allowed these disciples behind the veil and they saw Jesus become transfigured. They saw him become transformed before their eyes. Verse three says, suddenly Moses and Elijah appear to to them, talking with him. Moses and Elijah, they come to talk to Jesus. They have a meeting. Now, this is interesting. I know that this is before Zoom meetings, but it is quite interesting that they would travel all the way from heaven to come to earth to talk to Jesus. And the question is, what did they come to earth to talk to Jesus about? Well, in the other places in the Synoptic Gospels, we learn that the conversation had to do with Jesus and him uh, getting ready to take the cross upon himself. Moses and Elijah are sent by God the Father to Jesus to encourage him. 
because they know the weight of leadership that is on his shoulders. Moses, one of the pillars of the Jewish and and, and Hebrew religion and tradition. Moses, the one who went on a high mountain for 40 days to to be with God and who came um, off that high mountain. And the Bible said that his face shone like the sun, so much so that, that Israel asked him to cover his face because they could not stand his, the way his face was shining or the glory of his face. Elijah, this prophet from, from Israel, who did many miracles. And his most famous miracles is that he prayed to God that fire would rain down from heaven. And the Bible says that it did rain down from heaven. Both of these men are leaders. Both of these men were mediators for God on behalf of his people. And both of them come to talk to Jesus about the cross that he is getting ready to bear. I just love how God the Father provides us what we need. In Luke's gospel, it says that the disciples could not understand the weight that Jesus was under, so God provides him too who do. But where Moses' face shined because he was in the presence of God, Jesus' face shines because he is God. And we continue to read. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You got to love Peter, right? Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, the one who just the chapter before told Jesus that he would not stand by and watch Jesus be taken by the religious leaders and executed. The one who just got rebuked by Jesus once again is speaking up with confidence And saying, Jesus, can I build two shelters for you? Now, part of the thing that amazes me is that Peter, after being rebuked so strongly, would still be the first to speak. But I think that says something about Jesus. That Jesus was able to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter still was encouraged to be around Jesus, even after receiving such a strong rebuke. And that's just the type of of God that Jesus is. It's just the type of man that Jesus was. He was one who spoke the truth, but one who was so filled with grace that his disciples did not become overwhelmed and overburdened with their shortfalls. They still felt comfortable coming before him, bringing their full selves. And he requests to build three shelters. And I believe that this is a request out of hospitality. Verse five, and while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now we know that this is the second time in Matthew's gospel that a voice is going to speak from a loud cloud and affirm the sonship of Jesus. And this is God the father once again speaking and saying, Jesus is not only my son, but my beloved son. Now, we have to take note and notice that God does not affirm Moses and Elijah here. Though they are loved and they are, in essence, adopted into his family as sons. Why? Because as wonderful as Moses is, And as beautiful as Elijah is, this story is not about him. This is about Jesus and how he is better than them all. 
And he says, listen to him. Listen to him. The Bible picks up in verse six and says, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and they was terrified. And Jesus came up and he touched them and he said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone and that a preach by itself. These men were able to see the glory of Jesus. And when we talk about the glory of Jesus, what are we talking about? The glory of, of, of God when spoken of in the Bible, in essence, is the intrinsic worth of God, which is made public. It's his beauty. It's his perfection. It's his love. It's his mercy. It's his wrath. It's who God is when, and, and him allowing that manifestation of who he is to become public. It is the weightiness of God. God is heavy. He's not light. He is holy. In essence, in nature, completely good. And these disciples, they, they experienced the holiness of God the Father. They experienced the beauty of Jesus, his son. And they are left to bow down before him and to worship him. And they respond in fear and trembling. And this is the response that we often see throughout scripture. When God manifests his glory, when God manifests his beauty, when God manifests his attributes and his, his person, we are left bowing down and worshiping him upon our face. Could you imagine being Peter? Could you imagine being James? Could you imagine being John? Being on this journey with Jesus, seeing him open up blind eyes, seeing him open up deaf ears, seeing him move towards the lepers, seeing him stand up against injustice. And now you go to this mountain and you see him and his insides go out and his outsides uh, go in and he's filled with his beauty. And suddenly from heaven, you hear this voice. This is the one that I love. Listen to him. And then you hear, get up, don't be afraid. And even in this pandemic, that's a word for somebody, get up, don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Get up, don't be terrified. Verse nine, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about this vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And this is what we call the messianic secret, the messianic secret. And, and when we see verses like this all throughout the gospels, we want to understand that Jesus would often perform miracles and teach teachings. And that sometimes he would tell people, don't tell anyone I did this. And the reason why is because Jesus was on a divine timetable. Um, I, I believe that, that Jesus knew that he was to die um, the next time he went into Jerusalem um, around the time of the Passover. And so what he would do when, when people would experience his glory and his beauty in such an amazing way, sometimes based upon the temperature of the religious leaders and those who was against him, he'll say, don't tell anyone right now. And we see what happens when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling a messianic prophecy. 
that just what? Uh, less than a week later, he is crucified. We continue in verse 10. So the disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus says in verse 11, Elijah, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. He replied, but I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. And the same way the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he has spoken to them about John the Baptist. Here, Jesus is once again preparing his disciples for his death. Last week, we read in Matthew chapter 16, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes to be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and say, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and he will not allow anyone to get in the way of that. And he's letting them know that the prophecies have been fulfilled. Elijah, John the Baptist was the coming Elijah and he has suffered at the hands of of Herod. And in the same way, Jesus is going to suffer and to be crucified. So what do we do with this text? How does this text help us to behold the glory of Christ? How does this text minister to us in the midst of this pandemic? How does this text minister to us in the midst of perhaps grieving as a mother or grieving because our mother has passed on or grieving the injustices of society? How does this text help us today? There's three quick things. One, I want you to understand that when you behold the glory of Christ, it means that you believe that there is no one like him. And in the midst of all that you may be experiencing, it is important for you to look to Jesus and to know that there is no one like him. Peter here said, can't I build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah? And I believe that that's why God the Father spoke up. He said, Peter, Peter, stop talking. You're still not getting it. Jesus is not like Moses. Jesus is not like Elijah. He is better than both of them. They're not on his same playing field. They're not in the same category. There is no one like my son. Behold the one that is my beloved. Behold the one who's been with me for all eternity's past. Behold the one who is absolutely perfect, who is the embodiment of of love. Behold the one who has come to die the death that you deserve so that you can have reconciliation with me and be forgiven of your sins. Behold the one who is the pathway to peace, who is the pathway to joy, who is the pathway to abundant life. Look to him and him alone. And the question that I have for you this morning is what other shelters are you building in your heart? Because when the bottom falls out in life, we all have shelters that we want to build for other people or other things. 
We have shelters that we are tempted to run to for satisfaction and for joy. And this is just a quick reminder that only Jesus can satisfy you. That that hole in your heart was created for the one that God the Father sent to this earth. Look to him, behold him, behold his gentleness, behold his sacrifice, behold his mercy. Second, beholding the glory of God, we see in this text, leads you to obey him, leads you to obey him. I love how God the Father says what he says in Matthew chapter, uh, I believe it's four, when Jesus is uh, baptized by John the Baptist. But he adds two words, listen to him, listen to him. You know, in the midst of the anxiety that we may be experiencing as our lives have been turned upside down, as our identities have been shaken, as we go without the constant rhythms and things that we use for affirmation and that we found our identity in, it's important that we don't make excuses for why we are not being obedient to Jesus Christ. And Satan would love for us to use this time and to, 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 to just go and, and to fulfill the lust of our flesh or to give in into the temptation of anger, greed. But God's invitation for us today is to remember that faith is, is, is trusting God even when we can't trace him. Faith is obeying him even when our feelings aren't in line with him. Faith is looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, even though I'm in this wilderness, even though I'm hurting, even though I am lonely, I am not going to allow myself to become, sub, succumb to Satan's voice, his temptation. Third, this text reminds us that beholding the glory of God, that it leads to us embracing the cross. You know, Jesus Christ was glorified. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two, that, that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Jesus Christ was glorified because he fulfilled the will of the Father, because he was willing to take up that old rugged cross. And sometimes in the, we're tempted uh, to see God's glory apart from Jesus' Christ, Jesus's cross, but the cross and glory are interconnected. We can glorify Jesus as God because he bore the cross that we deserved. And Peter wanted Jesus to become the Messiah of, of his people without the cross. But Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see that the cross is the way to glory. That there is no crown without the cross. And the same is true for you and for me when we look to Jesus, we don't look to him and just see a resurrected Savior. We look to Jesus and we see a crucified Savior. And we are reminded that God's way of exaltation must go through suffering first. And so if you feel 
like no one gets you and you're an anomaly and, and you're experiencing a pain and, and you're all alone. Remember, you have a, a great high priest who empathizes with you, sympathizes with you in his weakness. You have one who, who bore the cross for you. And so I just want to invite you all this week to, to behold Jesus, to slow down in the midst of this horrible pandemic, in the midst of these rhythms being off, in the midst of your pain and confusion, to look to Jesus. I want to encourage you to read your Bible slowly and meditatively. And when I say slowly and meditatively, I mean to, to really read it in order to see Jesus. And so we're going to put up on the screen just a, a way in which I, um, I do Bible study and have grown, uh, grown to do it. And it's just a simple acronym called ACTS. 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 The A stands for adoration. As you read the scripture, whatever text, maybe you want to take this text and look through it. Ask yourself, how does this text lead me to adore God? The C stands for confession. How does this text lead me to confess my own sin, my own brokenness, my own doubt? The T stands for thanksgiving. How does this text uh, cause me to be thankful? And specifically, how does this text cause me to be thankful for the finished work of Jesus? The S is supplication. How does this text help me to pray? And so I want to encourage you in the midst of, of this season to make sure you take time to be with Jesus and to see that he is, just that he is, y'all. That he is, remember, he is, he is all that you need. Remember that he is the alpha and the omega. Remember that he is the one who saved you and who redeemed you. Remember that he is a, a doctor in a sick room that he is a lawyer in the courtroom. Remember that he is a bridge over troubled water. Remember that he is the one who sees and who knows all things. Remember that he is the perfect lamb of God. Remember that he is coming back one day for you. Remember that there is no one like him. That no momentary satisfaction can fulfill that God-sized hole in your heart. Remember that he overcame death, sin, and hell, and that he is coming soon. Bow down and worship him. Bow down and behold him. Behold him. Behold your risen lamb. Every Sunday, we take a meal to remind us of who Jesus is, a meal talk called communion. We take bread and we break it because this represents the body of Jesus broken for us. We take wine or juice and we drink it because we know that it represents uh, the blood of Jesus for us. It is by his blood that we are cleansed. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. And we take it according to our conscience. But as we have each week, we are not going to take it today, but rather we're going to just take time to lament and, uh, and to remember 
the, the death of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and to long for the day that we take it again. The Bible also tells us that this meal points us to a, a future meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will finally get to see Jesus face to face. And the Bible says that we, in that moment, that we will become like him, that we ourselves will be transfigured, no longer having bodies of um, mortality, um, but receiving bodies that are immortal, um, bodies that are not able to sin. Let's long together for that day. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.